Welcome to the Bob Hartman Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Hartman. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We can talk about Current events and what's happening, we'll also visit with Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Phil Kirpin is the President of uh, American Commitment, and we'll be talking about a post-COVID wake-up call to stop Biden's bankrupt agenda. And Erica Donalds is the uh, CEO and founder of the Optima Foundation, terrific organization. I happen to serve on her board, uh, full disclosure. Uh, we start charter schools in Florida, and uh, it's a, a great opportunity, so she'll be with us as well. It is July the 16th, and on this day in 1790, the Young American Congress declared that a swampy, humid, muddy, and mosquito-infested site on the Potomac River between Maryland and Virginia would be the nation's permanent capital. Washington, a newly designated federal district of Columbia, was named after the leader, of course, of the American Revolution and first president, George Washington. It was Washington who saw the area's potential economic and accessibility benefits due to the proximity of navigable rivers. Washington, who had been in office just over a year when the capital site was determined, asked a French architect and city planner, Pierre Lafont, to design the capital. In 1793, the first cornerstones of the president's mansion would eventually be renamed the White House. They were laid. George Washington, however, never lived in the mansion as it was not inhabitable until 1800. Instead, President John Adams and his wife Abigail were the first White House residents. They lived there less than a year. Thomas Jefferson moved in in 1801. That's the story. Washington, of course, moved from Philadelphia, the previous home of uh, the nation's capital. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer said that he was undecided on his retirement in a new interview. The 83-year-old Breyer answered no when asked if he knew when he would retire. He gave two reasons that would contribute to an eventual decision. Primarily, of course, is health, Breyer said. Second, of course, is the course. The court. Liberals have uh, urged Breyer to step down at the end of the court's current term so that President Joe Biden could name a younger liberal justice to the bench while Democrats hold a, a Senate majority. But Breyer said he was happy as the court's highest ranking liberal, saying that it made a difference to him. Breyer has played a central role in several recent high profile cases. Uh, from rejecting a third attempt to kill the Affordable Care Act to safeguarding student speech rights. He's also warned against packing the Supreme Court, warning in April that doing so could further erode America's trust in the court. He defended the court's refusal to hear from President Donald Trump's challenges to the 2020 election, noting that the court is guided by legal principle, not politics. Breyer's been on the court since 1994, longer than any other justice except Clarence Thomas, who was confirmed in 1991. So glad you're staying, uh, Justice Breyer. Uh, it makes a difference to us, and uh, hopefully you'll be around, oh, for at least another four or five years. Well, the president of America's second largest teachers union claimed Wednesday that millions, that's right, millions of Floridians are going to die because of Republican Governor John uh, Ron DeSantis. Randy Weingarten is her name, president of the American Federation of Teachers, was responding to DeSantis selling Don't <laughs> Don't Fauci My Florida merchants. If you haven't seen it, it's pretty clever. He's got T-shirts and coffee mugs. Don't Fauci My Florida. <laughs> Anyhow, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where you get those, but I'm sure if you just uh, look up Don't Fauci My Florida, you'll get directed to the website and to the merchandise. Disgusting. Millions of Floridians are going to die for Ron DeSantis' ignorance and his choosing to profit from it, Weingarten said in a tweet. He doesn't care about Floridians. He cares about furthering his own cruel agenda. Oh, Randy, come on. The state of Florida currently has 38,282 deaths from COVID-19 and a death rate from the virus below the national average. The entire U.S. sits at about below 1 million deaths at 623,000. 
777. So nevertheless, because of these t-shirts and this merchandise, millions are going to die in Florida. The governor's press uh, secretary, Christina Pershaw, responded with a tweet of her own ripping into Weingarten for advocating to keep schools closed despite science suggesting they didn't contribute to the spread of the virus. Randy Weingarten ruined the education of millions of kids by keeping them out of school for more than a year, she said, and based on conspiracy theory. Weingarten also received backlash after it was revealed that her union, along with the National Education Association, coordinated with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on drafting school reopening guidance. DeSantis has received praise from conservatives for his resistance to prolong COVID-19 lockdowns and keeping schools open for the entire year. Great governor and Randy Weidegarten just demonstrating to us how foolish she is and what a burden uh, the school teachers unions are to public education. Democrat gubernatorial candidate Charlie Crist is defending his 2010 decision to repeal a condominium inspection law that had come under reviewed, renewed scrutiny in the wake of the tragic building collapse in Surfside. Operatives have attacked Chris, who from 2007 to 11 served as Florida's Republican governor. He was speaking at an appearance in Sarasota once he suggested no one had the, had the value of hindsight 11 years ago when lawmakers did away with the mandatory condo inspections for structural sef- safety every five years. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? We didn't have Surfside then, he said. For earlier reports mentioning the seven, five-year inspections law, Starting with the uh, USA Today Network investigation, Chris didn't offer comment. That prompted an attack last week from Johanna Rodriguez, Deputy Communications Director for the Republican Governors Association. She said Charlie Chris only wants to talk about his time as governor when it suits him, but Floridians deserve better than that, she said. The reality is Charlie Chris failed Florida when he was governor, and he failed us again if given a chance. The loved ones of those lost at Surfside and voters across the state deserve answers about his repeal of condo regulations in 2010. That's not going to play well, quite frankly, in his run against DeSantis. Not that he even has a chance. But I guess he felt that he couldn't hold on to his uh, House seat because of redistricting or something. And so he decided to run for governor. He only served one term as governor, decided to run for the Senate. Ranking member of the powerful House Intelligence Committee, uh, uh, Representative Devin Nunes, said that on the Sarah Carter Show podcast that he still expects Justice Department Special Counsel John Durham to release a damaging report on the FBI's debunked investigation into former President Donald Trump and Russia. He also expects that it will lead to prison sentences for some former senior Obama officials. Nunes is one of uh, the few members of the Republican Party that still believe justice will be served. He laid out his reasons on the Sarah Carter show and did, said he hadn't given up faith in Durham's investigation, despite enormous speculation that Durham's investigation will fail to deliver justice. Many supporters of Trump, including the former president himself, have already begun questioning the legitimacy of Durham's probe and whether or not any action would be taken by the special counsel in his investigation. Well, it's nice to hear that from Devin Nunes, because quite frankly, I'd lost hope that we'd ever hear from Durham again. But he must know something. He's a pretty credible guy. He doesn't lead us astray. So it would be great to hear, and great for some of these folks to end up in uh, orange jumpsuits after his work is done. Well, Representative Byron Donalds Thursday slammed Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's call for the United Nations to investigate systemic racism in policing, telling Newsmax that he is so sick and tired of the left thinking that everything they have to do should go through international organizations. Byron was on the show yesterday. His interview was terrific. In fact, it was playing over the uh, introduction to the show. Hopefully, this will be over by the time I put on my next commercial break. But this yesterday's show was coming from someplace, and I can't figure out where it is. Anyhow, so he went on, Byron Donalds. We have racial, racial issues? Of course we have, he said to Newsmax, a national report. That record has been examined for the past far past than any other country in the face of the planet. Let's be clear, we're the freest, most tolerant nation on earth. It's what happens when you have a free society and people do bad things and harm comes to certain people. Instead, he said, the United Nations should start investigating with other countries, start with Venezuela, 
which has destroyed the value and liberty of its people over the last 30 years, he said. Look at what's going on in Cuba right now, not just now, but over the last 62 years. What about China? What about Iran? Looking at us, that makes no sense at all, said Byron. Doesn't pull any punches, does he? Blinken said Tuesday that the Secretary of State Department had invited experts who investigate racism and minority issues to conduct an official visit to the United States because responsible nations must not shrink from the scrutiny of their human rights record. <laughs> Blinken also said the United States welcomes the UN Human Rights Council and its adoption Tuesday for the resolution which will address systemic racism through law enforcement against Africans and people of African descent. However, Donald said Thursday that the United States has been transparent because the issues we've had on race relations have been under the microscope. What do you think the, the civil rights movement was, he said? What do you think Reconstruction was? What do we think the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were? What do you think the Civil War was? We've had this progression in our country going back 100 years, and especially through the U.S. civil rights movement until today. He, said, he also said it's a joke to put the United States on the scrutiny level close to that of Cuba, Iran, China, and uh, Haiti. This happens with the left all the time, he said. They have just have this moral relativism, so nobody is better than anybody else. It's a joke. We are the country of liberty and hope in the world, period. Point-blank UN countries can learn from us. Byron, well, so well said, and so great to seeing our congressman getting so much uh, national recognition. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date uh, by reading Life in Naples magazine. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Okay, coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Aitman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rocking good time. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help uh, St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House thrift stores, Cafe M25, car wash and detailing center, and award-winning catering. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by going to choicesocial.us. You may have heard the show going on yesterday's show. And I, hopefully it'll be over in just a little while so we won't have this interference in the commercial break, <laughs> breaks. But it's pretty amusing, actually, that uh, got some gremlins in the computer and stuff's happening, and I don't know why. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Phil Kirpin. He's the president of American Commitment. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. 
You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, a terrific organization, and a very robust website. So, William, for these last several weeks, we've been talking about the, rec, uh, the uh, infrastructure package. I think they now are looking at $3.5 trillion reconciliation package. Uh, what are your thoughts? Indeed, um, to recap uh, our listeners very briefly, we've got uh, uh, $700 billion worth of traditional infrastructure spending in the world. William, if you're speaking, we're having difficulty hearing you. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I'm you. Yeah, you're breaking up. I don't know if that's a cell phone, but maybe you could move closer to a window or something. I will, indeed I will, I will try to uh, go outside real quick. Does this by any chance improve the... That, that sounds much better. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry, I was uh, actually I'm at a family reunion here in South Carolina, so I'm sorry. <laughs> this is an unprecedented transition. Um, but just uh, uh, briefly, yeah, yeah, so $700 billion of spending in the works, traditional infrastructure money. We've got the, the $500 billion bipartisan infrastructure package that, that is, again, focused on traditional uh, roads and bridges and the like. Uh, they're still working on the, the, the language for uh, that package. And then finally, this week, uh, the Democrats unveiled a $3.5 trillion um, human and climate infrastructure package that really has everything under the sun. Um, it's just, you know, from free college tuition to free prescription drugs, uh, uh, to free pre-K education. Um, in the climate sphere, it, it's got you know, trillions of dollars worth of subsidies for green energy. I'm picking and winning, uh, you know, uh, uh, picking winners in the energy market. And then uh, most disconcertingly, it's got a Soviet-style uh, Soviet green energy production quota um, in there. So mm. it's, it's sort of... a uh, it uh, it echoes that period. It was about two months ago when it was sort of an on-running gag that uh, the Democrats were treating everything as infrastructure, and uh, that's what we're seeing in this $3.5 trillion package that, again, would proceed in this reconciliation um, uh, uh, process that allows the Democrats to avoid the filibuster in the Senate. So have you seen the bill? I, you know, Typically, the Democrat strategy is to put the bill out in about 18 hours, about a 2,000-page bill, put it out about 18 hours later and, say, and vote on it. <laughs> so nobody has a chance to At this point, it is only the details. So they actually just released a couple pages of bullet points. Ah. And uh, with this budget reconciliation process, it's, they've actually got to jump through a number of hoops uh, in, in order to complete it, the first of which will be next week. So we won't see them fill in the details of this package um, until August, September, and, and at that point it's going to proceed exactly as you just stated. It, it, this will be negotiated in secret behind doors um, from Democrat congressional leaders, and then it will be dumped on the rank and file uh, a few hours before the vote, um, and I guarantee you they will not have enough time to read it before they ultimately vote on it. Um, I'll note this. Um, it, the situation is still very fluid. Um, Senator Joe Manchin, who, uh, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, he's really the, the Democrats' 50th vote when it comes to this reconciliation process, this trillion-dollar bill. And he comes from a coal state. Um, he's not necessarily going to uh, um, uh, be solicitous of a lot of these climate measures. And he, he certainly he's already expressed um, skepticism about this Soviet-style green energy production quota. He's also articulated uh, uh, concerns about inflation. Um, and, and that is something, if your listeners aren't aware, it's up 5.4% this yeah. year. Um, levels we haven't seen since the late 70s, early 80s. So uh, that is to say, as long as Manchin is articulating these concerns, 
um, when the rubber meets the road and Schumer starts performing these behind-the-scenes negotiation, negotiations, there's no guarantee he's going to get all 50 members of his caucus to get on board, which is what he needs in order for this bill to ultimately pass. Do you think there's solidarity among the Republicans? Among the Republicans, uh, certainly when it comes to this $3.5 trillion, everything under the sun infrastructure package, yes, at this point, I don't see a single Republican um, uh, signing on to that. And it is, uh, we've already spent $5.5 trillion uh, in the last year and a half on COVID and stimulus. That's on top of our unsustainable it is part and parcel of our uh, part and parcel of our normal yeah. budget. Unbelievable! You know, these numbers are astronomical. <clears throat> they are astronomical. <laughs> hey, uh, I, if you if you have another minute, I was wondering if you could comment on uh, the administration's uh, record in court. Apparently, in federal court, they're not doing so well with regard to their policies. You know, William, we're having. Uh, are you speaking now? Oh, and, you know, I'm speaking, of, I, I'm so sorry for this poor connection. Oh, it's not your fault. No worries. But, uh, you know, why don't we pick that up uh, per- perhaps next week then, and we'll uh, uh, finish the interview now. But uh, have a great family reunion in South Carolina. I think that's terrific. Thank you so much for joining us, William. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm so sorry for these connection issues. No worries at all. Thank you, William. All right, uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Michael Cannon. He is the uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting uh, Network. Enjoyed it. I certainly did. Um, we've got great guests for tomorrow's show, including William Yateman. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Michael Cannon, he is Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Uh, I got an email from him saying that... Uh, He's going to be out of the office until Monday, so I'm a little concerned. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination and, uh, for many Neapolitans, including Lind and myself. Uh, Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, uh, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Golf Shore Playhouse. I proudly served as board chairman for 15 years and very proud of the direction of the organization. You can find out more and find out about the great productions at golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Phil Kirpin, the president of American Commitment. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He is the director of health studies at the uh, Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you, Michael. Uh, uh, Michael, last week we are going to touch a little bit on the Alzheimer's drug. Uh, you know, very, 
you know, it's just when you see people that have Alzheimer's and what happens to the family, the process, it's just uh, so humiliating and degrading and deathly. So, so I understand there's a new drug that's been produced, uh, produced that uh, could be a solution. Uh, that's right. The FDA approved a drug called Adihelm, which is supposed to uh, reduce the amount of beta amyloid, a plaque that builds up in the brain of Alzheimer's patients. And the theory is that if it can reduce the buildup of that plaque, it can reduce uh, the onset and uh, the severity of Alzheimer's. Uh, the problem is they, well, if depends on who you ask whether it's a problem or not, but it, the, the problem is that they, the trials have not shown that it reduces any Alzheimer's symptoms. Mm. It has only shown that, the trials have only shown that it, uh, it reduces the buildup of that plaque, and they are hoping that it will, that that means it'll also reduce the symptoms, and that's why it was so controversial when the FDA approved it. A lot of people said, hey, wait a second, you are not showing any symptomatic relief here. Uh, all you are showing is that it, uh, uh, it is that this drug has the potential or the hope of uh, of relieving Alzheimer's symptoms. And so, a lot of people thought the FDA should not have approved it. Mm -hmm. uh, my own perspective is that it, the FDA exists really to make our healthcare decisions for us. And when it blocks a, a drug, prevents it from coming to the market, it is denying you your right to make those your personal medical decisions. And then, so when it approves a drug, it's 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 removing that barrier and finally allowing you uh, uh, no or no longer interfering with your right to make your medical decisions. So even if it doesn't work, even if it is a of questionable efficacy, the FDA should not be blocking drugs like this. So is there any uh, downside, you know, any uh, unintended consequences of, or dangers of taking a drug? Uh, there have been, you know, there, there are side effects uh, associated with every drug. There are uh, probably some associated with this. The, the, uh, however, the decision about whether uh, the side effects uh, make it, make it uh, are so dangerous or so severe that a drug is no longer worth taking is not a scientific question. It's yeah. not one that the FDA can make uh, for a patient yeah. because only the patient can decide whether the potential benefits to her outweigh the uh, potential risks. And, uh, and so that is why approving the drug was the right thing to do because now patients can make those that uh, cost-benefit calculus for themselves. Um, and and one, another reason that the uh, this has been such a controversial approval is that some of the costs, at least the, the financial costs of this drug, are, are extraordinarily high. The, the company that makes the drug, Biogen, has said they're going to sell it for $56,000 for a year's worth of... Uh, of, of Whoa. <laughs> of treatment, and 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 that is so expensive yeah. that uh, some people have calculated that this drug alone could cost the Medicare program more than the entire Medicare Part D prescription drug program costs. Yeah. And so that is a pretty steep price tag. But again, the problem there is not that the FDA approved the drug. The problem is that uh, the Medicare program so often pays for drugs that are not uh, efficacious, and it also just pays too much. Medicare is a terrible price negotiator. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting story. Are there any indications that it uh, stops the progression of Alzheimer's, or is it simply that there's no, it's not demonstrating to this point any effect? It's not yet demonstrated any effect, and there are trials ongoing that should tell us, but there. are years away from completion. And so what is happening now is uh, you have uh, people weighing in on uh, uh, whether this, uh, and making, weighing in on whether this drug is worth the 
costs associated with it. Uh, you have experts like those at the Cleveland Clinic saying uh, we are not going to administer this drug to patients. And while some people have taken that as evidence that the FDA should not have approved the drug, uh, they, I think that's exactly the wrong conclusion. Uh, the FDA should have approved the drug so that people could be making their own decisions about whether it is, uh, it is in the interest of patients. And the Cleveland Clinic... Uh, and others saying they're not going to administer this to patients is this sort of um, uh, expert evaluation and uh, a, a feedback, approval or disapproval, that we should be getting for uh, for drugs from the private sector. Uh, so let me uh, let me ask that, you, that can help guide patients to making these decisions uh, yeah. for themselves. Are all FDA approved drugs? Uh, uh, eligible for reimbursement uh, through uh, Medicare? Pretty much, yes. It's very hard for Medicare to say no to it because there's so much that Congress has done to uh, cripple its ability to say no uh, to covering drugs. In fact, Congress even requires Medicare and the Medicaid program to cover drugs for uses that the FDA has not approved. Yeah. And, and, and the reason for that is it's someone else's money. So, so, uh, so the government doesn't care. Whenever the government is thinking about uh, denying coverage for a drug that doesn't work or that costs too much, uh, the, the makers of that drug will lobby uh, Congress heavily, often in getting getting patients to uh, seniors to lobby Congress as well to say, "No, you should cover this drug." And there's very little pushback against those lobbying efforts because, again, it's someone else's money. And yeah. so uh, no one really stands up for the taxpayer and says, no, we should not be paying for this. So that's so interesting and uh, such so important. That's a great example of what's going on. It makes you wonder, how did they get to the number $52,000 a year for the drug? So it was 50, $56,000 a year, and, and the, you would think... Uh, if you've taken economics, you would you would think that oh well this is be, that they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to uh, come up with uh, uh, the um, the socially optimal price where or the quantity of this drug and the uh, research and development that goes into creating uh, or developing new cures like this. Uh, they're coming up with a price that just matches the. Uh, the, the cost of this drug. Unfortunately, that's, that's not exactly what's happening. Yeah. We don't have a competitive market for prescription drugs. Medicare is one of the reasons. There are many others. And what drug companies are doing is uh, something else that Economics uh, 101 predicts. They're trying to maximize revenue. Uh, and unfortunately, because of all the ways the government has intervened in the health sector, uh, the revenue maximizing uh, they're able to charge a uh, price, a revenue maximizing price that is not the socially optimal price. It is much higher than the socially optimal price for this drug, and uh, and so they charge fifty six thousand dollars, and then they uh, use that as um, a negotiating um, uh, uh, point for the price that Medicare and um, and other payers ultimately pay. You know, the Medicaid program uh, pays for uh, pays for dr drugs by paying uh, drugs like this by paying one hundred and six percent of whatever the private uh, the manufacturer charges private payers. What that does is it creates an incentive for the uh, drugs manufacturer to uh, overcharge private yeah. payers so that they can get even more money. Out of the Medicare program, we just need and to get that's the, really what's leading to these uh, crazy high prices like yeah. we're seeing for at home. We need to get uh, government out of healthcare. It's, it's a long slog through uh, making that happen. But uh, Mike, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Thank Take you care. so much. You too. All right, coming up. Uh, so interesting. Uh, would be great to see some competitive uh, competition when it comes to Alzheimer's uh, drugs and, uh, and cures. Coming up, we're going to visit with Phil Kirpin. He is the 
president of American Commitment. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Erica Donald. She is the president and CEO, founder of the Optima Foundation. Right now, we have with us Phil Kirpin. Phil is the president of American Commitment. He's also a, one, a member of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Great to be with you. Thank you, Phil. Hey, be, before we talk about your column, it's called A Post-COVID COVID Call to Stop Biden's Bankrupt Agenda, Time to Wake Up and Smell the Big Government Corruption. It's really a terrific piece. But uh, I, I want our listeners to know about the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Is there a website, or how can people subscribe? Committee to Unleash Prosperity.com, and uh, we have a free daily newsletter. You can sign up. You, it's right on the front if you go to uh, Committee to Unleash Prosperity.com. Perfect. And I, I will tell you, I look forward to my edition every day, and I read it thoroughly. So it's, it, I urge you to, to sign up. So, uh, Phil, tell us about American Commitment. Well, we are a national free market advocacy group. We work really on all of the uh, fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues. But what we do. It's a little bit different from some of the other groups is we really don't do original research. We try to sort of focus on what's happening in Washington uh, that's kind of on the margin where there's a fight about a fiscal, economic, or regulatory issue where a little bit of citizen education or engagement can make the difference, and uh, we try to get people the information they need to uh, get involved in these fights and, and win some of them and tip the outcomes in a more free market direction, and all our stuff is on AmericanCommitment.org. AmericanCommitment.org. So, Phil, this column that appeared in American Spe uh, Spectator, uh, maybe you could tell us about it. Well, um, I wrote it a couple months ago, but it's kind of the uh, define. It sort of defines what we've been doing for the last couple months, and uh, we'll continue through the end of the year at American Commitment, and that is. Uh, really trying to get past COVID, which uh, preoccupied us uh, pretty severely while we were fighting the lockdowns and the school closures and so forth, as I fear it did so many people, and uh, re really engage on what's happening legislatively and, and on regulation uh, in Washington and, and sort of the, the extremism 
of the Biden agenda, and uh, this is really kind of kicking into an even higher gear right now with uh, the Bernie Sanders budget now being agreed to by the White House and uh, the other Democrats, and they're about to move forward with these two bills that uh, between them are going to encompass some $5 trillion in spending and almost every insane left-wing policy priority you can imagine. And so, you know, the, the point of this column was sort of to walk through in every single policy area just how extreme and radical this administration is and what they're trying to accomplish and how important it is that we stop all of these things. So from the, you know, the, the Green New Deal and all the rest of the anti-fossil fuel agenda to the taxes and spending and their 30-some tax hikes uh, in the Biden budget, they'll probably all or nearly all be in the Bernie Sanders budget uh, as it moves forward. And we've got the entire extreme corrupt union giveaway agenda, including that they want to effectively ban state right-to-work laws. Uh, that pro-act, they call it, that's part of the Bernie Sanders budget. And, and so we've got just almost any area of policy you could think of, Bob, we've got uh, an administration that's more extreme and more left-wing uh, than we've really ever seen before. And um, this stuff's not theoretical. They're trying to enact all of it, or yeah. as much of it as they can uh, right now. Yeah. So uh, what can we do? How can we make a difference in terms of uh, you know being advocates for sane policy and for uh, keeping uh, fiscal responsibility and uh, getting <laughs> this whole Green New Deal? It's, what a joke! It's just it's a it's a it's it's a faux science is what it is. It's fake science. There's no <laughs> carbon dioxide is not poison. It's good. So what can we do? Well, I think that. Um we got to think back to the first two years of Obama and the way that so much of that agenda was stopped um, because the American people got active and pushed back and uh, really uh, weighed in regularly with Congress and were writing letters constantly and calling constantly and you know you know showing up at town halls which you know they don't do anymore but maybe if someday they started doing events again you could show up in person as well and you know back then they had very large majorities in the house and senate right now they have the smallest majority in the house uh i think ever and the senate's tied 50-50 and so i think that if people really get engaged and weigh in regularly and say they care about these things they're paying attention they know what's happening they're opposed to them uh It'll only take a few Democrats to get skittish for these things to sort of collapse of their own weight. And not even just Democrats. I mean, I think you look at something like the so-called infrastructure bill, uh, you know, if we can get the Republicans to peel off of that, that, that could collapse. And so I, I think it's about people paying attention, educating each other, and getting engaged. Yeah. Sending those letters up, those phone calls, it really does make a difference. The one thing politicians care about more than anything is getting elected and reelected. And so they do care about constituent contacts. Out of, out of curiosity, I've never, it just occurred to me, I've never sent a, a letter to anyone other than my congressman or my senator. Does it help if you, to send it to uh, people who are, you are, where you're not their constituent? No, no. They do not care about non-constituent contacts uh, for the very reason that what they care about is getting elected and reelected. And yeah. so I, I, um, the way our systems are set up on our site, if you go to AmericanCommitment.org, and go to the Action Center. We have several pre-written letters that you can send or you can edit them however you want and so forth. Uh, we, we only facilitate constituent communications. We will never uh, facilitate non-constituent communications. Some groups do that, and they, they even try to charge you for it, and they say they'll fax every member of Congress and that kind of thing. Uh, in our experience, that is not productive. Yeah. Uh, if there's a particular member that you're concerned about, Say, for instance, there's a Senate issue and you're very concerned about, uh, you know, Joe Manchin doing the right thing or something like that. Uh, what you need to do is think of who you know in that state or who you know in that district, if it's a House member, and have them write the letter. Gotcha. Uh, but it really, they need to be constituent contacts uh, to even be tallied by these offices. But the point is that AmericanCommitment.org, that's the place that we can go in order to uh, initiate contact and to, to you've got the tools right there for us to make a difference. Exactly, yes. That's just uh, very cool. Say, there's $300 a week, I think it's a week or a month, child credit that's being sent out. That, 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 that's a month, yeah. That's a month? The unemployment bonus is 300 a week. Uh, the child credit is 300 a month. Where did that come from? I, didn't, I don't remember that being passed into law. Uh, that was in the um, 
That was in the uh, Biden $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. So uh-huh. they expanded the child credit, <laughs> and half of it, it was made a monthly deposit rather than coming at tax time. Unbelievable. So is that, it, it sounds like it's going to be in perpetuity. Well, they, it, it was just, it was just enacted for one year. So basically from, from now through the end of the year was a six-month thing uh, that they enacted in that bill. However, uh, it is extended permanently in the Biden budget and therefore in the Bernie Sanders budget. And so uh, that's going to be bound up with all of these other things, yeah. whether it's made permanent. Phil, you're doing God's work, man. I just really appreciate the work from, uh, from the committee uh, uh, to... Uh Unleash Prosperity, and also American Commitment. AmericanCommitment.org is the website. I encourage you to go there. Let's, uh, let's get reach out to our congressmen and to our senators today and let them know what we think. Phil, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. All right. Have a good one. You as well. Thank you. All right. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Erica Donalds. She is uh, the founder and president of a terrific organization, uh, CEO uh, America, uh, Optim- the Optima Foundation. I proudly serve on her board, and uh, she's doing a great job. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, a terrific organization making a difference in state governments and in now federal government across the nation and uh, do things to create policies and programs, for example, to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. I proudly serve on the board. And uh, the website is thefga.org, thefga.org. Uh, you'll be surprised uh, how how many strings are being pulled in order to get uh, congressmen or state re- representatives and state senators equipped uh, to make law and, uh, and uh, policy that really makes sense uh, for the United States. Again, thefga.org. Well, uh, Erica wasn't available. Uh, I don't know why. Her seems like her phone went to automatic answers, so uh, we'll have a chance to visit with her another time. In the meantime, we've got a lot to talk about, including uh, this decision made by the National Football League. They're going to keep pressing social justice, justice messaging on the field for the coming season. That in spite of the fact that uh, we're seeing attendance and uh, interest in National Football League professional sports reduced be- as a consequence. But nonetheless, front office sports citing unnamed sources reported the NFL has a 10-year, $250 million commitment to combat systemic racism and intends to promote social justice uh, 
on the field and in the stadium public service announcements. The NFL also plans to make Lift Every Voice and Sing, often referred to as the Black National Anthem, a prominent part of all big league events, and likely highlight victims of racial injustice with a Say Their Stories project, the news site reported. They're bringing back a lot of elements from last year, an unnamed source said from the news outlet. In 2020, League suffered its uh, first regular season TV audience downturn in three years amid the COVID-19 pandemic, but the news outlet noted that social justice messaging impacts viewership as well. The push comes as other leagues dial back, the news outlet reported, including the NBA, which removed most of their social justice signs and messaging that were prevent, uh, prevalent on the court and players' jerseys last season. The news outlet said this year's social justice initiative could be as big, if not bigger, than last season's in terms of spending, resources, and commitment. The effort uh, will kick off in the preseason that starts on August the 5th in NFL end zones and will include messages such as end racism and inspire change. Uh, this coming August 14th will we mark the five-year anniversary of quarterback Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick protesting a national anthem during a preseason game. Since then, the NFL has seesawed in its support of protesting players. As former President Donald Trump called for clubs to fire protesting players in 2017, the controversy may have impacted the league's TV ratings as well. At the height of the player protest during the 2016-17 season, the league's once impregnable TV audiences plummeted 8% and 10% respectively. As the protests receded, the NFL's TV audiences bounced back to go 5% apiece during the 2018-19 seasons, uh, but the average audience fell 8% to 15.1 million viewers in 2020 as the league embraced social justice messaging on helmets, warm-up gear, fields and stadiums and the new outlet noted <clears throat> i i don't know this is just kind of like a circular f- firing squad these professional teams that are are it i find it highly offensive and in fact I, my automatic response is it mutes my interest to uh, tune into professional sports and uh, of course the nba is dialing it back a little bit baseball's dialing it back a little bit but you still see evidence of it and it's just a shame and of course uh now, I, I just think the NFL is going to suffer as a result of this. What a big mistake on their part. Well, the state official in Arizona on Thursday said the state Senate's audit of Maricopa County's 2020 election result revealed potentially thousands of missing serial numbers on ballot copies that had been duplicated from damaged originals. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to watch this. Uh, we watched the uh, Senate hearing yesterday. In the Senate hearing yesterday, a Senate liaison, Ken Bennett, described the process by which election workers duplicate a ballot. If a ballot gets damaged and has to be sent to duplication, there's a specific process in the state elections procedure manual. The process involves applying matching serial numbers to both original and duplicated ballots. We found, I would have to say, thousands of duplicate ballots where those serial numbers are not on them, he said, and so it's been creating great difficulty to try and match up a duplicated ballot to its duplicate. Bennett also said that many serial numbers were applied with a dot matrix printer atop uh, border lines around the ballot, a mix-up which made for some, for some very difficult matching of duplicated ballots and their duplicates. One of the most important things you do uh, when you duplicate ballots is reflect the serial number on the two ballots so that you can do two th- main things, he said. One, make sure that you have uh, one for every one of the other, and two, make sure that you can look at the votes reflected on the duplicated ballot to make sure they were reflected correctly from the ballot that was damaged or, and was duplicated. During his testimony, State Senate uh, President Karen Fan asked Bennett, if the corresponding numbers aren't on there, how would you know whether it was duplicated once or ten times? To which Bennett responded, you wouldn't. The ongoing uh, Maricopa ad- audit is expected to continue for a few more weeks. And we know there's great discrepancies. It'd be interesting to find out when this is all done, what the actual results were. I don't know if they're going to have an opportunity to get out in the field or even examine the equipment because they're not, not able to uh, get the, the uh, passwords to uh, the Dominion machines. That's also interesting. Let's see if this is Erica here. Erica, is that you? It is. I'm so sorry. My phone didn't ring and my service is 
it was out. Well, that is uh, no worries. You're on air right now. So. Oh, <laughs> great. Hi, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you so much. I was uh, bragging about you a little bit about the great job that you're doing as the uh, president, CEO, founder of the Optima Foundation. Maybe you could tell us about it. What's it all about? Oh, I'd love to. The Optima Foundation, we started four years ago in order to help groups and communities bring uh, high-quality classical charter school uh, to their area. And it's really just exploded, Bob, because of all of the demand that we see across our state and, frankly, across our country for school choice alternatives and specifically a classical, traditional, content-rich education that focuses on moral character and civic virtue, which is so lacking in our traditional public schools today. Uh, So now we have uh, two open schools, one in Martin County, one in Jacksonville, and one opening in just a few weeks here in Naples, Naples Classical Academy, where we have over 2,400 applications and are going to start our school year at August 10th with over 1,000 students. Overall, in our three schools, we'll have about 2,500 enrolled students and another 1,000 students, Bob, on the waiting list. We cannot open these schools fast enough. It's remarkable. I mean, parents have to, going through the pandemic and actually having a peek at what their kids are studying and what they're learning and, or not learning, uh, I think it's really incented a lot of parents to take a look at what alternatives might exist. And, of course, charter schools and the classical. The, the, maybe you could describe uh, the relationship with Hillsdale College and uh, h- how that works. Absolutely. Hillsdale College has a wonderful program funded through an endowment called the Barney Charter School Initiative. Uh, And what they provide is a content-rich curriculum that each of their charter schools can follow. Uh, It tells us exactly what books to buy, what literature our students are going to read and when, all of the historical facts, geography, things like that. So they've curated a uh, listing of all of the curriculum, the, the best curriculum across the country. And they hand us that list so that we can go and purchase those materials for our students. But they not only give us uh, that list, they also come down, as they're doing starting on Monday here in Naples, and train our teachers for two weeks in how to implement that curriculum in the classroom. They also hold a summer conference for our returning teachers for continued professional development, and they provide all kinds of additional resources for our teachers to make sure that this program is implemented with fidelity. We're sharing best practices with their other 20-plus schools across the country. Uh, They help with our principal selection as well as training our principal and our governing board members to make sure that every school is successful. Just a fantastic program. And, of course, kids are are scoring so much better in these uh, uh, competency tests that are taken periodically. Uh, What we're seeing from charter schools and classical academies is just absolutely fantastic. You know, Bob, a lot of people try to say the opposition that charter schools underperform traditional public schools, and it's just simply not true. The Florida Department of Education does a report every year on the performance of charter schools and on every single metric that they put out, the charter schools outperform traditional public schools despite the fact the fact that these charter schools also have a higher per- percentage of students on free and reduced lunch considered economically disadvantaged and more at-risk students, uh, the population they're serving. In our classical charter schools in the state of Florida, what we see is that those economically disadvantaged students score higher on proficiency exams for math and reading than the average Florida student. So you're talking about pulling just the economically disadvantaged students out of those classical schools, comparing it to the average Florida student, including all types of students, and those classically trained students are outperforming in reading and math. It's very exciting to see. Exciting indeed. Erica Donalds, again, CEO and founder of Optima Foundation. Is there a website, uh, Erica? OptimaEd.org. That's OptimaED, as in education, .org. We're also launching next year, Bob, just to mention, our classical virtual option, fully virtual, and will be available to all students across the state of Florida in grades 3 to 8 with live delivery through virtual reality. Uh, It's okay to be both classical and uh, give the most 
up-to-date modern technology a chance to help us to deliver that classical education in areas where we can't build a brick-and-mortar school just yet. Uh, So we want to meet the needs of those families where they are, and that's Optima Classical Academy, which is launching next fall in 2022. There's so much more to talk about, Eric. We've got to have you back another time, but again, I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob, and for all your support. You too. Thank you, Erica. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. we got great guests lined up for Monday, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Kristen Corey is the CEO and founding uh, producing artistic director for Gulf Shore Playhouse. Lots of news on that front. We'll be looking forward to visit with Kristen. And Megan Rose. She's the CEO of Better Together, terrific organization, doing so much good. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.